0: Tonight on Ithaca Now. Look! There goes the game. Companies are trying to make solar energy more accessible in upstate New York through communal solar power. The
1: kind of barriers to entry for people to go solar are kind
0: of high. Next April will mark the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr and Ithaca College journalists are working on a documentary about the civil rights leader. Uh,
2: the story of Martin Luther King tends to be more about the day he died, which was a tragic day, um, but his life is much more than that.
0: As WICB celebrates the season, we looked into what really goes into growing a picture-perfect pumpkin.
3: I, I don't know, there's just something about seeing that sort of orange glow from a jack-o'-lantern at this time of the year that I don't, just takes me back to being a kid, I guess.
0: And we spoke with David Studwell, director of the upcoming play on Common Ground.
4: Mostly professional actor, and most of the acting I've done has been for entertainment and for state, you know, for a job. That was been my job. Now it's I really see the power of theater and how it can change, change society.
0: All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now.
5: Good evening and welcome to the Now. I'm your host, Harris Malkin. Thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondents report on solar energy in upstate New York and how one company is pushing renewable energy to be more accessible. But first, we'll turn to Sophie Johnson and Quinn Theobald with this week's Community Beat
6: anti semitic posters were found hanging on Stewart Avenue and on Cornell University's campus last Monday. The posters had swastikas on them and said, Say no to Jewish lies and join the white gang. This is the fourth instance this academic year alone of intolerance for minority groups on the campus. The Cornell administration has condemned these events, and in Monday's press release, President Martha Pollack said, quote, Cornell reviles their message of hatred. We revile it as an institution.
7: Former Ithaca College associate professor Michael Stuprik is suing the college for $1 million, claiming he was falsely terminated. While the reason for Stuprick's termination is unclear, the lawsuit states he was fired because of threatening a student and another professor. In reporting done by the Ithacan, students shared stories of uncomfortable interactions with Stuprick. The lawsuit was filed on October 13th, with a court date yet to be set.
6: Yaquez Cornette, who confessed to shooting a man in the commons last April, was sentenced to 12 years in prison on Friday. The victim of the shooting now has a metal rod in his leg and still has four bullets embedded in his back. Cornette's lawyer asked the jury to consider a merciful sentence, citing that Cornette was intoxicated at the time of the shooting and that he has two children to care for.
7: Melissa J. Minnick confessed to purchasing multiple items that were used in the murder of Camden Russell. Russell was found dead in December 2016, and Minnick testified during the Newfield Homicide Trial this past Wednesday and Thursday. Minnick is being charged with conspiracy related to the homicide, and three others are being charged with murder.
6: Multiple Tompkins County residents have reported getting calls from people who claim to be officials from the sheriff's office. The callers are trying to solicit money, citing false missed court dates and arrest warrants the Tompkins County Sheriff's Office said to hang up if you receive a call like this, and at this time, officials do not know where the calls are coming from.
7: The past few days marked the third annual Wizarding Weekend in Ithaca. Its charm brought over 10,000 people from everyday muggles to the most impressive wizards. Events like Quidditch games, potions classes, and even wizarding duels entranced the commons through the weekend. The proceeds from this year's events go to the Blue Sky Center for Learning, which helps individuals with autism and other intellectual disabilities. For Sophie Johnson, I'm Quinn Theobald, WICB News.
5: The grass will be looking even greener in Ithaca proper. Syracuse Green Energy Company Blue Rock Solar will install thousands of solar panels in Enfield, Ithaca's neighbor, but they're bringing something new to solar energy. WICB correspondents Amanda Chin, Anika Kushner, and contributing reporter Jade Hazard looked into Blue Rock's project.
8: 6,800 solar panels will generate energy for more than 300 homes and produce around 3 million kilowatt hours per year. That's what the region-wide company Blue Rock Solar will be bringing to Enfield in less than two months. So why install these in Tompkins County?
1: um an area where we we thought about putting projects um if we could if we could make it work and um because we think we you know the the appetite
9: for this type of product is very strong uh in Tompkins County and uh in, in Ithaca proper that was Michael Francis the general manager of Blue Rock Solar this Syracuse-based green energy company is pioneering community solar energy in central New York But why is solar power so important? Solar energy reduces greenhouse gas emissions and doesn't rely on
8: fossil fuels. Fossil fuels emit harmful gases into the environment, but they also cost more to use because they're non-renewable. Solar power also does not require the large amount of water that fossil fuels require,
9: and it lessens the impact on the world's water supply. Community solar is unique in that you don't have to have solar panels on your property. Instead, residents receive energy from a 13-acre plot of land in Enfield. Unlike traditional solar projects, community members don't have to worry about where to put panels or the cost to maintain them. John Morris is one of the community members who have received solar power from Blue Rock.
8: He has had reservations about getting solar panels in the past, but he is now able to take advantage of these community solar
1: panels. You know, I was never real excited about having solar panels on my roof. We have a shingled roof that's 15 or 20 years old, and the roof is going to be due to be replaced way before the panels would be uh, expired, and uh, that would be a massive project, so that was always something that held me back, and with the community solar, I don't have to worry about it.
9: Michael talks about the advantages of community solar power over individual installation. The kind of
1: barriers to entry for people to go solar are kind of high. Um, First of all, you have to be a homeowner. Uh, You know, If you live in an apartment, it's not like you can put solar panels on your apartment. You don't
8: own it. With Community Solar, anyone who lives in the general area and pays a New York State electric and gas bill can sign up for a membership. In an effort to make the project as accessible as possible, Blue Rock follows a pay-as-you-go model, where subscribers can sign up for just a one-year contract and save
9: 10% on their utility bills. Blue Rock Solar is no stranger to the central New York area. Just last spring, they completed an installation of over 2,000 solar panels across three-and-a-half acres for another community project nearby. Our first project that we completed
1: that was in Millport, New York, which is just south of Watkins Glen, um, was one of the uh, earliest community solar, we believe the first community solar project of its kind in New York State, whereby we have this system of a subscription Um, where no money down, the customer comes in, and they're paying for the solar as it's generated uh, on a monthly basis.
8: And Blue Rock isn't the only company that's trying to make solar energy more accessible with the community approach.
1: It's a pioneering thing for the state of New York. Uh, Community solar is in a handful of other states. Uh, California, Massachusetts, and Minnesota are three pretty popular states. It's relatively new to the state of New
9: York. Overall, Francis believes that community solar should be available in more areas and that it can positively affect a large number of people.
1: You know, in order to reach our state goals of of um, getting 50% of our energy from renewable sources, um, it's going to take more than people putting solar on their individual homes. And, um, you know, community solar is is a great way to bring solar to the masses, really.
9: For Annika Kushner and contributing reporter Jade Hazard, I'm Amanda Chin, WICB News.
5: This coming April 4th will mark the 50th anniversary of MLK Jr.'s assassination. Most listeners know King for his I Have a Dream speech and role as a civil rights leader, but some might not be familiar with his radical fights and poverty and Vietnam War protests. James Rada is the chair of Ithaca College Department of Journalism. He's working with six Ithaca College students to produce a documentary airing on uh, PBS affiliates, focusing on King's assassination and overlooked activism. WICB's Elena Peach talked to Rada and the students about the documentary. So my name is James Rada. I'm an associate professor and chair of the Department
10: of Journalism at Ithaca College. And I am also a documentary producer. Overall, I've done um, six documentary projects. Also, in the past four years with Ithaca College, we've covered several major events for national news outlets, both NBC News and PBS NewsHour. So we've covered the 50th anniversary of the March on Washington, 50th anniversary of Selma. And in April, we'll be covering the 50th anniversary of the assassination of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King.
8: I'm Christy Calcacno and I'm a senior journalism major. Um, I heard about this project when I was TAing for Professor Rada last semester, and he approached uh, me about working with him um, and other IC students on this project, uh, so it was such a great honor to be part of it.
10: This documentary is going to be about the life, leadership, and legacy of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. We're going to look at how his career in relation to the civil rights movement started, and then the downside being how it ended. But by bookending it that way, it also gives us a little bit of a behind-the-scenes look into the civil rights movement and allows us to establish a frame of reference for saying, 50 years later, how much have we overcome? How much do we still have to overcome?
8: It was definitely eye-opening to hear the conversations from like real-life people witnessing those events.
9: I'm Emily Varga.
11: I'm a senior
6: journalism major.
9: Um, I really enjoyed the project, but I think that I realized how much work goes into long-form journalism because we were only – some days you only did one interview, but you were doing it for an hour, hour and a half, almost two hours, and by the end of it, you were exhausted because you were engaged in a conversation for so long about issues that are so important, and I think I learned – um, just how much work goes into really like putting together a documentary, the footage you're getting, how much time it's going to take to edit it, and just really being engaged with what you're doing.
10: I didn't just work with six students. I worked with six of Ithaca College's best and brightest, and there's a difference there. Um, I worked with six people who are already operating at in an industry level, who can already produce professional network level quality content.
2: My name is Debbie Robertson. I'm the program manager for WKNO-TV in Memphis. We've had uh, a lot of talk with Dr. Rada and his students, and we're very happy to have them in Memphis right now, um, because the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination is significant for the country, for the world, but more specifically, it's, it's uh, a moment in history that Memphis will never forget. Um, Dr. King wasn't from here, but his life ended here, and that's always been... Very significant and something we try to preserve and take care of. Um, so when it's done it will be distributed nationally, that's one of the things I do is uh, distribute programs through an organization called NIDA and they make it available to every PBS station in the country. This program once it's done will be seen, you know, has potential of being seen in at least 74% of the country and I think it'll, the carriage will be a lot higher than that because I think a lot of people want it for their April schedules. Uh, the story of Martin Luther King tends to be more about the day he died, which was a tragic day, um, but his life was much more than that. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing that, that this show is going to celebrate that, that his life and his work. I, I really liked the, the format that Dr. Rodda came up with, and I think all the interviews that the students are doing is, is going to help that. It's going to move that story along really well.
10: If I were a medical doctor, I would like to think I would go into a field, not for money or prestige, but where there's a need. My doctorate is in the humanities, or some would say the social sciences. Let's look at this country, let's look at our humanity, let's look at our society, and where are we the sickest? Well, with race. So that's where I focus my energy and my efforts, is on issues of race. And overall, I would also say equalities. It relates to race, gender, ethnicity, identity, any issues where there's institutionalized inequality, I'm going to focus some attention. The second reason I I look at race, too, is because over
5: the years, these stories have been so overlooked. There's buzz in Ithaca around On Common Ground, an international collaboration between the Ithaca College Theater Department and Theater Wale in Pakistan. The project launched this past winter, and it features... Three Fulbright scholars and fifteen Pakistani artists. It toured around the country, and now two actors, Islam Ba natives, are headed to IC to work with students, centering on violence in public space. The play is debuting on November 12th in IC's Dillingham Studio at 6 p.m. and at the newly opened Cherry Arts Space on November 13th. Correspondent Will Carlson sat down with the play's director, David Studwell, to learn more about On Comic Ground.
12: So we are here with director David Studwell, and uh, David, go ahead and introduce yourself to everyone.
4: My name is David Studwell. I'm a um, professional actor, director, teacher, and I am a spouse uh, to Kathleen Mulligan, who is a professor here, an associate professor here in the theater department at Ithaca College.
12: All right, thank you. So you are involved in the On Common Ground project. So what would you describe as the basic premise of the project?
4: Well, Uncommon Ground is a project that deals with public spaces and our perceptions of public spaces and how they've changed with our new understanding of some of the things that are going on in our world, terrorists, you know, violence, things, and how that has affected our use of public space. All right. And it's a theater piece. It's a devised theater piece and uh, originally done by Pakistani actors Mm -hmm. Uh, We're working with a theater company in uh, Islamabad, Theater Wale, and we brought nine actors over to Oregon in June and July, and they performed On Common Ground, which is the title of this devised piece that I directed last April, along with my collaborator, Linda Alper, who was the writer. She and I were over in Islamabad and helped the actors devise and create this piece. I directed it, and in June and July, we brought it to Oregon, and as I said, the piece, am in common, common ground," deals with the use of public space.
12: All right. so now you specifically, we've mentioned you are the director of this show. So, what's that like, really? How that's I'm imagining that's a pretty taxing role.
4: Well, it's as taxing it as any other theatrical <laughs> uh, part of you know, theater is, I like to call it the most collaborative art form, and director is just one of those pieces. I work closely with, as I said, the writer Linda who worked closely with the writers, which were our Pakistani company, Theatre Valle. And then ultimately we picked nine actors and a singer and a dancer and two musicians to create this project. So specifically about directing, I like the challenge of trying to figure out how to take something from the page and bring it to life on stage with actors. It's something that I really enjoy. I like the pressure of it, frankly. So you said it was—I don't know what the word you used was—stressful. Uh, no, uh, something like taxing. That. Taxing. I don't find it taxing at all. It's—it's uh, it's just something I love to do.
12: Now uh, you mentioned you've just got so many moving parts in this opera. You've got singers, dancers, people doing all sorts of things from halfway across the world in some cases. Mm-hmm. We have—you uh, said Portland, correct?
4: Yeah. Port- well, Oregon and, and Pakistan. Uh, again, this is a um, this is a project that came out of a generous grant through the U.S. Embassy in Islamabad, Pakistan. It enabled us to to work with this theater company in Pakistan and brought it to, as you said, Portland, Oregon at the Actors Repertory, Artist Repertory, excuse me, Artist Repertory Theater in Portland, uh, end of June, and then to the Green Show at the Oregon Shakespeare, uh, Shakespearean Festival in Ashland, Oregon, which was an amazing, amazing uh, collaboration and uh, it's an ongoing uh, project. It's an ongoing, it's a two year grant that is still ongoing, and and phase three is what's going to be uh, coming to Ithaca in the beginning of November.
12: All right. So you mentioned uh, before we started how there were three Fulbright specialists, well, two Fulbright scholars and a specialist. Mm-hmm. So what was that like, sort of interacting with these different people? Or Let's even step further back. Can you talk more about the program for sure. people who may be
4: unfamiliar? Sure. Well, it all started with my wife, who was a Fulbright Nehru scholar. To India in 2010 and I was lucky enough to go along with her and that was a full Fulbright which uh, was five months in country in Kerala India during that project we uh, met the woman who runs the Fulbright office in Islamabad Pakistan we did some uh, interacting with her at a, at a conference and she invited us to come as specialists to Islamabad and so Kathleen applied as a specialist, I applied as a specialist, and our first trip to Pakistan was in 2013. At that time, we taught some workshops at various theaters and with various people. Uh, We were in Islamabad and Lahore.
5: We'll be right back after a short break. Coming up, we'll hear from David Studwell, the director of upcoming local play On Common Ground. You're listening to Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM.
4: Bert Patterson of Sunday Morning Jazz here A lot of people have contacted us recently Asking, how do we do it? How do we play the best classic jazz And all your favorites? And jazz you have always dreamed of hearing? And jazz you've never even heard of? The answer is, we cheat We break the laws of physics and common decency With equal frequency That's Sunday
5: mornings from 8 until 10 only here at WICB Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're hearing from David Studwell, director of Upcoming Play on Common Ground.
12: So three Fulbright specialists helped draft the show proper, and uh, more specifically, you mentioned how it was two Fulbright scholars and a specialist. So why don't you give a little context about what the Fulbright specialist program is for those of us who might not know?
4: Fulbright specialist is actually something that anyone can apply for separate from regular Fulbright. Uh, My wife was a Fulbright Scholar, Nehru Scholar to India in 2010 and went through a very long process of selection and peer review. Fulbright Specialist is is a program that if you have a specialty and you want to see if you can go and share that specialty somewhere in the world, the Fulbright Program has this specialist program which are short-term grants anywhere between two to six weeks where you can go to a country and uh, use your specialty to share with them and also learn from them. The Fulbright Program was uh, developed in, the I think, 1947 was like the first year. It's named after William Fulbright, who was a senator. He believed the best kind of diplomacy between countries was one-on-one, person-to-person, sort of get boots on the ground. And so the Fulbright Program was born out of that philosophy. And uh, it's a way of originally and still, by and large, academics, but also students from both uh, foreign countries coming here and also from the U.S. going to foreign countries to meet face-to-face and share their knowledge. And it's it's proven to be an incredibly positive program. Um, My wife and I are both part of the uh, Fulbright uh, Alumni Association. There are multiple Fulbright alumni at both Ithaca College and Cornell. And this project that we did on Common Ground really came out of that Fulbright Specialist program. My wife and I were both Fulbright Specialists in Pakistan starting in 2013, where we were introduced to Theodore Valle, who are partners in this program. It's the Fulbright Specialist program that enabled us to get there. And then getting there, we partnered with the U.S. Embassy and uh, applied for grants through the embassy in Islamabad, our first one being in in 2015. And we devised a theater piece then with the Theater Valley Company. And that was called, in Urdu, it's Dag Dag Ujala. The English translation is This Stained Dawn. And that was a piece about partition, the partition of India and Pakistan in 1947. And we created about a 90-minute program based on firsthand interviews with survivors of partition. And it was very successful. That uh, originally toured in Pakistan. Then it was translated into English and came to Ithaca College in the fall of 2015. And because of the success of that project, the embassy came to us and, or came to Theater Valley, and said, you know, we really like sponsoring theater and we'd love for you to apply for another project. And so we, together with our another Fulbright specialist, Linda Alper, who lives in Oregon, together with uh, members of the Theater Volley Company, we came up with this new idea called On Common Ground which is a exploration of public space and the use of public space and also the effects of violence on public space and how that has affected our lives. Specifically, first, how it's affected the lives of the people in Pakistan. And now in phase three, we're going to ask some of the students in Ithaca College to sort of think about public space and how It's changed with the influences of some of the things that some of the tragedies that we've encountered in the last several years and how our view of public space has changed because of that.
12: So what about yourself? Like what's your biggest takeaway from this project?
4: Well, it's been like I said, it's been for us. And we started in 2013 with when we first met people from the Theater Volley Company. Now it's 2017. So it's been four years that I specifically have been involved with this Project. And to me, it's kind of twofold. On one hand, as a theater artist and as a Fulbright specialist, I'm hoping to raise the profile of Theater Volley in Pakistan because really there's no such thing as a professional theater in Pakistan. Mm-hmm. All of the members of the Theater Volley company are full time professionals in other careers. We have lawyers, we have chartered accountants, we have college professors, we have school principals, history teachers. Every single person who is an actor in that company. Is got a full-time job. So part of what I took away from this and this project has helped with immensely is sort of raising the profile of the theater there and and bringing some theater culture, supporting theater culture in in Islamabad. But the other side of that that I've taken is this collaboration and and learning from people in a part of the world that I knew nothing about and frankly was when I first thought about going. Actually, the first time... I went was after my wife was determined to go, and I said, "I'm not sure if I want you to go there by yourself." And she said, "Well, then why don't you apply for a Fulbright specialist?" <laughs> and I said, "All right, I will." <laughs> and so the next thing I knew, I was also a Fulbright specialist, landing in the middle of the night at, at the airport in Islamabad, and to this place that I all I knew about was what I saw on the news and in the newspapers. So I was a, very trepidatious at first, but over the course of this time. With the first project in 2015 and this current project on Common Ground, I'm learning about people who are just like me, basically, who happen to live in a very different culture, in a very different place, but have the same concerns that I have about, you know, uh, having a good job. Making art, having a good quality of life. I think the title this title of On Common Ground was actually suggested by one of the actors in Theatre Valley Company because it was right after there was a there was a terrible explosion at a children's playground in Lahore and now, you know, now you can't bring your kids to a playground it seems. So he he said, Well, why don't we explore public spaces? Why don't we explore what the violence the effect violence has had on public space and that's how this pro- project was born. And uh, it's really caused me to look at public spaces. You know, a lot of our friends have said, Well, how, how can you go over to Pakistan, don't you? you it's not safe. How do you feel, You don't feel safe, do you? And Kathleen always says, Well, you know, I feel as safe there as, as I feel here. And, you know, frankly, things bad things can happen wherever you live by going over there and, and seeing and experiencing life with these people in their native culture. And in their uh, homes, really got to learn a, a lot about myself as well. So it, it, it was a really this whole project has been incredibly eye-opening to me as a mostly professional actor. And most of the acting I've done has been for entertainment and for stage, you know, for a job. That was been my job. Now it's I really see the power of theater and how it can change
5: change society. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear about what goes into growing the perfect pumpkin. This is Ithaca now on WICB. This message from WICB. There are hundreds of ways to say yes. Could.
1: Si. Sí. Yao. Ga.
6: We. Oui.
5: Yeah. But there are just as many ways to say no. Bu. No.
6: Nay. No. Nee. no.
5: Nein. Whatever your partner says, respect their decision. If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual assault, call the Advocacy Center of Ithaca at 607-277-5000. As WICB celebrates the fall season, correspondents Bridget Bright and Madison Fernandez spoke with the chair of horticulture at Cornell University. They look into the ins and outs of finding the dream pumpkin for your doorstep.
13: It's the most wonderful time of the year. Crisp air changing leaves, apple pie, but nothing screams fall
11: like pumpkins. The question is, what should you be looking for in a pumpkin?
3: Personally, I like uh, one that's very round, maybe a little bit squat. Some people might prefer ones that are a little bit longer in shape. Um, and you want to make sure that it has really good ribbing in it as well. So that, that makes just makes a pumpkin look like a pumpkin. Really good color, that deep orange color.
13: That was Steve Reiner's professor and chair of horticulture at Cornell University. But, as Reiner says, it's not all about looks. It's the inside that counts, too.
3: I make sure that there's no soft spots on the pumpkin, there can be scratches, that's not a problem. But if there's anything soft on the pumpkin, that'll mean that all rot, it's not going to last very long.
11: Reiner's has worked at Cornell since 1994, but he is also a statewide vegetable specialist. He helps farmers in the state grow the best crops possible.
3: Our growers are incredible. They have this this expertise to be able to do that, but occasionally problems do arise, and that's when I try to come in and try to figure out the better way to grow those. And I work with entomologists for insect management, and I work with plant pathologists when diseases come along.
13: Reiner says that perfect pumpkins don't grow themselves. It comes from the hard work and dedication of farmers. The process of pumpkin growing starts in June way before we're thinking about the changing leaves in cooler weather
3: typically you'll see most growers trying to put them in sometime between about the first of june and about uh, the twenty-fifth of june so you've got that sort of three to four week period if you plant later you take a risk that you're just not its going to you're just not going to have enough time to get them to ripen up
11: however there are many factors that stand in the way of fall enthusiasts getting the pumpkins they desire
3: dozens and dozens and dozens of diseases that will come in Dealing with the uh, the weather, you have wet fields. You can't plant. You can't cultivate to control the weeds.
13: For the past few years, the weather has not been optimal for pumpkin growing, which is due to what Reiners describes as the new normal:
11: extremes in the weather.
3: When it gets dry, it gets very dry. When it gets wet, it gets very wet. It stays in this pattern for a very long period of time.
11: The beginning of this year appeared to be following the trend of imperfect pumpkin growing conditions.
3: Because it was so wet early on. Some growers didn't get the number of acres of pumpkins in that they'd hoped simply because it was just too wet.
11: This
13: is a problem that faces Iron Kettle Farm in Kander, New York, Ithaca's neighbor.
11: Warm weather is the best for growing pumpkins, but it doesn't equal a perfect season alone. The combination of warm and wet weather this year caused some issues with Iron Kettle's pumpkins. Jennifer Jennison, owner and partner of the farm, says...
1: Um, Well, by the time you harvest pumpkins, you kind of want it to be cool, um, but you don't necessarily want it to be wet and Mm -hmm. warm because once the pumpkin has um, a nick or a cut and it's warm and a little extra moisture, you get bacteria, and bacteria will make pumpkins rot.
13: But Reiner says the weather turned around. And this season became ideal for growing perfect pumpkins.
3: Probably mid-August or so, things really started to dry out. And September was just a beautiful month of day after day, of warm daytime temperatures with nice sunshine.
11: Overall, Jennison says that having a warm harvest season isn't all too bad. Iron Kettle Farm has had such a great season that they are actually struggling to keep pumpkins fully stocked because the weather has been so nice on the weekends.
1: Um, Due to the nice warm weather, uh, we've had a uh, fantastic fall. Um, if we have rainy weekends, it really hinders on how many people that come to the farm.
13: So now that you know the ins and outs of this year's pumpkin harvest, how do you plan to make your pumpkins extra special?
11: Jenison's favorite way to decorate pumpkins is by painting them. She paints pumpkins at the farm, so she has some advice for you if you're looking to make some pumpkin art.
1: Well, I do a lot pumpkin painting here at mm-hmm. the farm on all the characters, so I always like big eyes and lots of
13: expression. Reiner says that most of the pumpkins in New York State are grown larger to be made into jack-o-lanterns, so he likes to carve his pumpkins.
3: My favorite is make a jack-o-lantern. Um, I, I don't know, it's just something about seeing that sort of orange glow from a jack-o-lantern at this time of year that I don't, just takes me back to being a kid, I guess. And it just really, is it just. I just love the way that looks, so I love doing that. <sighs>
11: But make sure you pick the right pumpkin for your pie.
3: If I was looking for one that I wanted to cut up and make into pies, I would get a smaller pumpkin, usually one that's around 4 to 6 pounds. They've actually been bred by breeders to, uh, to be really good for, for baking and for cooking with. You wouldn't want to do that with a big jack-o'-lantern pumpkin. They've been bred to be jack-o'-lanterns.
11: For Bridget Bright, I'm Madison Fernandez, WICB News.
5: That's all we have for you for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to our podcast on the iTunes podcast store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. Our Station Manager, Alex Bredekin. News Director, Peter Champelli, And our Correspondents, Sophie Johnson, Quinn Theobald, Amanda Chin, Annika Kushner, Jade Hazard, Elena Peach, Bridget Bright, Madison Fernandez, and Will Carlson. All the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from the Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you for joining us, and as Garrison Keeler says, be well, do good work, and keep in touch. I'm Harrison Malkin, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB.